Hello and welcome to this episode in our first season of Raising the Roof. Uh, today we're going to talk about the power of brand. Um, and I have to say that I'm really being tested today um, as I have what I can only class as two heavyweights from the world of comms and media. Um, I can also see from um, meeting these two individuals the impact that a career in housing has had on, on me and my appearance um, and how good I could have looked had I chosen uh, the same career path as my two guests today, uh, one of whom um, is a David Beckham lookalike. Um, but um, before we go to the David Beckham lookalike, uh, there, there's your clue, um, first up um, is, is one of the, the smoothest operators in the housing world. In fact, he's so smooth um, that Sade uh, wrote a, a classic tune about him. So, Asif, Sade, good morning. How are you? Good morning. That's one hell of an introduction. I hope I can live up to it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will, because let's face it, you know, we've, we've read the corporate bump. You're, you're the, the sales and marketing director at, at, at Resource. Um, and if you don't know, don't know who they are, they're, they're an award-winning creative marketing and, and print provider. Um, uh, some of those regular listeners to the podcast will, will know my love of all things paper and print. Not um, Asif, though, could run an absolute masterclass on how to successfully build your market profile. Um, I think it's fair to say he's developed the resource brand within the housing sector and has now become uh, arguably one of the leading providers of of comms for, for what is in effect about the last 15 years. Um, and not only that, but he's now working with in excess of uh, 100 housing associations. Um, also importantly, he's the founder of, of Comms Hero. Um, and if you, again, don't know what that is, um, you, you've clearly lived on planet Mars because it's an award-winning conference, but it, it celebrates really the heroics um, uh, of the people that, that work in comms teams um, very often uh, the forgotten few, except, of course, in Yorkshire housing. And I've got to say that because our producer today, otherwise, will cut me off. <laughs> um, so um, he set up uh, Comms Hero uh, brand back in 2014, and it has now an online community of over 12,000 followers. Um, but, you know, we also like to dig under the skin of um, what people want us to know about them versus the things that they try and hide away here on, on Raising the Roof podcast. Um, so um, let's, uh, you know, dig the dirt a bit more on him. He's from a family of 12. Now, can you imagine uh, a family of 12 at Christmas? What on earth? I have trouble buying for my three kids, let alone what I buy for, for 11 brothers and sisters. And, and you know, uh, th those children range in, in age from, from 51 to 35. And he claims to be number two in the pecking order. So that might give you a bit of an insight to to his age, although he certainly doesn't look that old. Um, and he's a big social media uh, advocate. He's posted 72,000 tweets um, from his own Twitter account. Um, clearly has a lot of spare time. Um, but it also hides the true picture um, because he has a hand in three other uh, Twitter accounts as well. So uh, you can probably double that figure at least. Now, I know where he's got his smooth dress sense from because his favourite series is Suits, which he's watched um, three times. And indeed, on his recommendation, just last night, the Atkin household started watching Suits for the very first time. So if it's rubbish, um, we're all coming back to haunt you. 
Um, the one downside and the one factor that nearly stopped him being uh, invited along today is that um, he's a Liverpool fan. Um, he blames this on, on growing up in Bradford, um, at where he claims as a result of that, his only choice was Manchester or, or Liverpool. Um, and, and, and I suppose, you know, some of my colleagues will be saying, what about Leeds United? Or even worse, what about Bradford? Um, and uh, his final confession is that he's also been known to don a cape and a mask, but he claims that's purely for professional purposes. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, let's move on to my second guest. Um, so um, basically, David Beckham, um, who uh, doubles up as uh, Matt Button, um, he's the, the co-founder of uh, DS Emotion. Um, and despite his, his youthful good looks, uh, he claims to have a career spanning um, 30 years. Um, and he has uh, a continued burning desire to create outstanding and creative marketing campaigns. Um, and that's across branding, that's across things like property marketing and placemaking. Um, he works um, and straddles both the public and, and the private sector. Um, and interestingly, from a housing point of view, has worked on place marketing projects across the country in both the commercial and, and the resi sector. Um, and he's done things like he's rebranded and, and repositioned things like Carnaby Street and the Shard and, and also many sort of large and, and mixed-use regen projects. So uh, for you know, some of my, my housing peers, um, they may well have, have come across Matt's work. He recently been shortlisted for, for five client projects in, in Property Week's 2021 awards and two winning projects in the 2021 Property Marketing Awards for Best Placemaking Campaign and Best Property Related Website. Um, so that's all the stuff he wants you to know. What doesn't he want you to know? Wow, this is where it gets interesting. Um, he, firstly, he's, he's an extreme sports fan, uh, but only when his knees um, actually permit that. Um, he's um, he, he's in the fortunate position of having gotten rid of all his kids um, who've flown the nest, and he's now reliving my teens and, and early twenties uh, because he's a, mo a motorbike enthusiast. Um, he's toured much of Europe on a motorbike pre-kids, and as part of his self-confessed midlife crisis, is now looking to get back in the saddle. Um, and it's not just motorbikes. Um, he currently lives on a building site in North Yorkshire, but has a passion for, for old Land Rovers. So uh, just as well, really, because we all know what building sites are like when you're, you're trying to build a house. Um, it's an absolute mud bath. So uh, doubtless he has lots of fun in his Land Rover there as well. And the final thing, uh, which we have to dig a little deep for this, but he's also a performer. And it is interesting, really, you know, that... Um, our younger listeners won't have heard of, of, of Barry Manilow. And, and indeed, you know, Matt performed this iconic Copacabana song at the Crypt Factory in Leeds. So, Matt, fancy giving it a go? Uh, I'm afraid the uh, my, my microphone is well and truly hung up. Thank you. Well, that's the, that's the end of Barry Manilow. My kids will see my YouTube uh, browsing history and go, what on earth is this? But uh, at least I've got a story behind it. So they're my guests. Um, let's get cracking. Asif, uh, if I can come to you first, as I mentioned in, in my intro, you, you've successfully stormed your way into, into the housing sector and you've consolidated that into a, into a really strong foothold. 
What tips or tricks can you share with any of our listeners who are probably looking to emulate what what you've done and break into um, a new market sector? I'd be glad to uh, answer that. It's a, it's a great question as well. I think there's learning by doing really. This is, it's been a 12 or 15 year journey, 12 of it on social and in the main Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn. Um, and what I'd certainly say to people is that the, the art of engagement is the absolute key. So you can have uh, the probably in, in today's communications and marketing world, the emphasis is on tech, um, but doesn't matter how good the tech is, it doesn't actually tell you how to engage or how to speak or how to build relationships. They're just literally tools in the same way that attending networking events and things like that, that what we did before social media, you had to turn up to these um, events and converse with people and do the relationship building. That part of it hasn't gone. And I think there's that skill, that soft skills, something that people who go into, you know, just having a social media account and following somebody and posting something to them doesn't mean that you're going to get engagement. There's that whole relationship building process hasn't disappeared. There's just different channels that you've got available to make people more accessible. So I certainly say to people, make sure that and it doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. So I don't want people to think, oh, you need to be a salesperson or an extrovert. There's thousands of introverts that I know who are fantastic relationship builders because they've learned the art of communication um, and applied that in various different channels. So I'd say to people, you know, look at what channels are available. Don't chase all the shiny new ones, consolidate your positions and make sure you're visible. That The key thing with this is visibility and social media. We had to physically go to events and, and be in amongst it. And you couldn't have conversations with people before the events and after the events or even during. You had to rely on being in a venue with two, three, four hundred people and come away with two or three meaningful conversations. Whereas now you've got the technology that allows you to invest the time, delegate lists are available beforehand, um, and not just events, but also, um, uh, uh, sorry, not just events that you're attending yourself, but events that you're not attending. I get just as much benefit out of events that I'm not attending as people are talking about it on social. Um, because you can't be everywhere all the time, but you don't need to be physically everywhere all the time. So uh, that's been a, um, a big part of, of that, investing your time. You've got to decide how much time you're going to put into this, you know, dipping in and out for a couple of um, two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes every day. It doesn't work, to be honest with you. You've got to, you've got to know when people are about. And our relationship, myself and yours, Nick, was born over a, getting advice on a pair of running trainers, God knows how many years ago. And CEOs were, uh, as a, a target, were not accessible to the likes of salespeople before um, before social media. And I'm talking about Twitter in the main here. I'm not talking about LinkedIn. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's been a huge rise, and that's, that's a 12-year journey that I'm talking about, but it doesn't take 12 years to do it. Um, if you follow the right path, so consistency, you've got to be in amongst it get involved in conversations um, and it's the equivalent of going to a networking event and seeing an established circle of people. How do you walk into the middle of that conversation and be visible? And that's, you've got to try and emulate that in social. And I have to say as a, a massive positive about digital social networking relationship building, it's far easier to do it on social than it is 
in the physical environment because that would scare the life out of it still does to me um but to most people it, they just wouldn't do it so i think you've got to uh, invest the time be yourself don't turn into a uh, an alter ego of yourself that's an absolute key thing because eventually you are going to have to step out from behind that keyboard and meet people face to face and that you want to be that same reflection of you as you are on digital as you should be when you're in person and that doesn't always it sounds like a very simple thing but it's definitely not always the case so uh, certainly consider uh, consider that uh, do does your research. Mean, does, that mean I need to stop, does that mean I need to stop using a profile pic from myself from 15 years ago? Is that, is that, not, is that a no-no? I, I have a kind of rule that two years really as a, as a max, unless you've had some major changes. Um, I'm going to say dyed your hair, but I'm not talking about you. That's only about that. me. No. So it's, it's important to keep that because you go to events and you do play place the Twitter face um, yeah. or the LinkedIn face and you're looking for somebody and or somebody worse still, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, hi, Asif, how are you doing? I'm thinking, okay, right, who are you? And then they tell you who they are and I'm thinking, yeah. oh, that's not you, is it? Yeah. Or uh, that's, I thought you would look totally different for the last kind of 10 years. <laughs> uh, you know, so, um, so yeah, definitely keep that profile uh, up to date and just be yourself, be human, you know, share yeah. content that's... Um, not work-related, uh, and I'm talking about both Twitter and LinkedIn. It's not um, LinkedIn's changed a massive amount in the last probably two years. I'd say that um, there's you get more complaints on there about people saying, "Oh, this is not Facebook." Um, yeah. That in itself is a testament to how LinkedIn's changed um, the whole platform and how people use it. And that human-to-human element is a massive part of. Um, it's always been a huge part of relationship building and being visible and getting known, not necessarily just for the professional stuff that you do, because unfortunately, as much as we'd all like to think what we do professionally is the most memorable thing, it's actually probably not. Yeah. Uh, the, the personal stuff is the things that people remember, and my content split is probably 70% personal and 30% professional. Um, but I do that 30% of professional is me engaging with other people's commentary and um, uh, thoughts on marketing and communications and sales as well. And that's where I tend to get involved rather than initially posting specific conversation starters. I tend to do that through the Comtero brand. So, um, but that, that, yeah, and it just, it's just become kind of commonplace because you've been, you get to do it so for so long that it needs to just become part of your, your DNA and also don't fall into the trap of, uh, when you meet people, uh, I tend to remember people's Twitter handles rather than their proper names. Um, yeah, so don't have uh, a dodgy one. <laughs> and I know when uh, you, you'd had Paul Taylor on um, uh, the podcast, I know people used to think he was called Paul Bromford for, yeah, for many years yeah. until he cleared that up. So yeah, so that's just a, there's there's loads of stuff I could go into, but uh, you know, hopefully that's a bit of an insight into. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got top five already there. Got the yeah. top five there. That's great. Matt, can I ping across to you? Just, just obviously, you work in the, in the housing world, but you, this podcast also sort of goes much wider than that. So um, you work across a, a wide range of sectors. Yeah, what, what, what can housing learn from, from others? Who should housing be looking to uh, be more like with, with their brand? 
Okay, so we do work in a wide variety of sectors across the property and place arena with both public and private sector clients. We've learned a lot over the last 18 months, two years with regard to how others are communicating and how others have had to switch and change their communications by their, their audiences. And where we work also outside of uh, the property market, if you like, some of the similes and some of the learnings we can have do relate to the property market. And, and in particular, I, was, I thought it might be worth just mentioning a few of those areas and briefly talk about the, uh, some of the, the, the tactics that they've employed recently and the strategies they've employed uh, to, uh, to, talk to talk to their audiences. Um, retail and leisure, for instance, when we uh, were told that the country was going to go into lockdown, our immediate and I guess a bit of a knee-jerk reaction was to, to worry quite a lot about the retail and leisure sector. Um, we, we represent quite a lot of places around the country that, that focus on both shopping centres, high streets, etc. And, um, and initially we were um, we, we stopped and had to think a lot about how our clients needed to uh, communicate um, to their occupiers as much as to their audiences, their consumer audiences, which we did. And, and we very quickly realized actually that regularity of communication, um, utilizing digital and social channels, um, such as Asif has been um, talking about, was going to be absolutely key for them. And so as an agency that have uh, developed a social media department and obviously we've got quite a strong digital department that was combined traditionally with other ways to reach out through activations or through events etc to engage their, their customers we we suddenly switched to online and therefore had to make sure that people could understand the communications we were putting out and that was around consistency and this will be a theme that i'll come back to probably later in this conversation but this was around consistency regularity and motivation and, and that was trying to keep people our, our consumers from a retail and leisure perspective on the hook and believing that um that these places would still exist in some shape or form from a social perspective so the uh, our emphasis changed very much from one-to-one -one engagement or group events or activations and pr exercises etc very much towards that, that social engagement and, and the regularity went up enormously for the retail and leisure sector. Another area that was affected quite heavily and, and is still being affected in, in many ways is the office market. So we represent um, office buildings through to um, large um, office parks. And the key here was uh, a switch towards agility. We had to think very, very quickly about how we could help our um, landlords and, and business park owners, et cetera, communicate with their, um, their, their corporate audiences and the staff who worked in these environments. And we created tools to enable them to be able to plan uh, who could come into the office when, just simple scheduling tools so that people could dial in and see who was in, who wasn't in, who had COVID, who didn't have COVID, et cetera, which we felt was useful tool for the office market. But I think now, as we start to emerge from this situation, the need for agility is still there. I think that the office market is going to have to respond very cleverly to, um, to pot potentially um, you know, a changing market where brand experience, environment, 
um, activities and engagement and social engagement is going to be really, really important for workers who perhaps don't have that at the end of a phone line or the, at the end of a Teams line yeah. um, that they might well have been using for the last two years. Um, and our emphasis is in trying to drive those people back to back to the office market, um, getting them getting them back into the workplace safely, and doing so in a manner that will be um, ultimately rewarding for those. Uh, younger and older audiences who, who work in that sector. Riding over all of this is the placemaking place work that we do, um, perhaps an overused and sometimes understood term. Um, but effectively, this market and how, you know, how this engages with people generally, really, this is about people. It's not about buildings or spaces or houses. It's about people. And recognizing that communities and people need to come together is absolutely key here. The housing sector, I think, whether that's social or private cell, whatever it might be, needs to recognize that this is all about people and this is all about community. Yeah. And how do we how do we reach out to those communities? How do we bring those people together? Somehow, sometimes who now don't want to be brought together be, because of safety reasons or health reasons yeah. or whatever it might be. But overriding the top of this is a, is a health and well-being um, factor. And I think that bringing people together within either digital or physical social environments is absolutely key um, to create happy content and long-term sustainable communities. And, uh, and, and, and that it doesn't discriminate between residential or parkland space or office development. So that's one thing that we would place an emphasis on now with our clients is to say that, that people really are the, the one deciding factor. And when it comes to business audiences or consumer audiences, as Asif said earlier on, you know, social media is an amazing tool to utilize to be able to bring people together. But it doesn't discriminate between um, people who are um, either from a business audience or a consumer audience. It's the line between B2B and consumer communications is very, very thin now. So we need to make sure that we choose our words wisely and choose our motivations wisely <laughs> in order to be able to bring those people together. Um, as far as who, uh, what's, who the housing sector should look like, um, well, I, I think having worked across broad housing sectors, I've been inspired by the work that Yorkshire Housing has, has entered into doing and, and your approach to how you wanted to build um, a brand, an evolving brand for yourselves. And I think that the housing sector should look to people who are um, literally delivering that change and, and those, those sort of new ways of doing things and looking to be innovative with the way that they position their brands, et cetera. And, uh, you know, you did a really good job, I believe, and it's articulated on your current website, even never mind your new website. <laughs> no, no pressure there, Matt. No pressure there. Um, to identifying your strengths. Uh, in your brand and, and identifying your promises and your your values and, and what behaviors those uh, those values might bring to uh, the people who work with or encounter uh, your brand firsthand. So therefore, I think that it doesn't really matter what sector, I think having a, and I'm talking as a, a branding person here, having a unique proposition, sometimes in an ununique market is difficult to achieve. But I think if you can achieve it, if you can articulate it, and then if you can communicate it effectively, 
I think that's a real asset for businesses moving forwards. Okay, we'll 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 come back to that if if we get some time actually, Matt, because I think I, I want to unpack that a little bit more. But I think the point you said around um, consistency and regularity of the message and choosing your words wisely, for me as a as a leader of a business, that's probably the biggest single thing that's come out of the pandemic um, in terms of uh, getting the message through to to colleagues, yes, but also to customers. Uh, and I think I think it has been a game changer. I think we are genuinely, and I've said it before, I think we're living through a revolution at the moment, and that revolution still hasn't finished in terms of how we live our lives, how we communicate, how, how we work, when we work, all those sorts of things. And, and you touched on it there as well in terms of the, the reference to the challenges that um, you know officers have, people who, who rent and, and sell office space you know i think i think that's that's still to to unwind uh, a little bit further um i'm going to flip back um to um asif just because um you you've set up with a, a previous guest on on raising the roof amy nettleton who uh, if you haven't heard that episode it was episode four part two uh, on shared ownership definitely worth uh, uh, a listen um, but you set up with Amy, um, the, the second best housing podcast, uh, So Chat Hour. So, again, building on some of the stuff that Matt was saying and, and what you said before, you know, what was your thinking behind that? And what's its what do you think has been its biggest success in branding terms? I, th- I think the, the keeping the message simple with that, because I think the shared ownership, it's um, having kind of been involved in that space for five, six years now, it but having been involved in housing for probably 10 years prior to that, it was a huge shift in my kind of approach to how housing organisations marketed themselves. So having done the previous 10 years with social housing and everything was, you wouldn't necessarily consider using fancy print finishes on a marketing collateral. And all of a sudden working with Asta Group and working in shared ownership and competing against private sector developers. And, and that will know all about this is that the, for me, it's like, hang on, we're getting specifications where people want us to put laminates and spot UVs on and uh, on the brochures and on the marketing collateral. And that was a huge change. So as I spent more time in that space, I realized that even within the same organizations, there was a an almost intrinsically linked set of values, but to an entirely different set of customers, which required different language, different tone of voice, one is selling and one's providing homes for social rent. Two, you know, how do they work hand in hand? These questions that should organizations have separate brands to do the shared ownership selling because it is selling and the social rent. So there were all these questions that came up and the only time these questions were being asked was at the uh, NatFed's Affordable Home Ownership Conference or the NSG National Sales Group Conferences that were specifically dedicated to shared ownership. But within the sector itself, you had this um, kind of social housing or people who were working in that side now having to try and sell homes because five, six years ago, I don't think, you know, the actual sales and marketing functions of those organizations were as um, well resourced and had the relevant budgets applied to them as they do today. So that has definitely changed. I I can definitely vouch for that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. There's been a huge change. And so what we wanted to do, Amy and I kind of, as we were talking, we said, well, look, you know, we've met so many people across the sector and there's nobody really asking the conversations that are, or having the conversations outside of a a national conference environment because 
the national conference environment, as good as it is, and it's great for getting people together once a year, the work doesn't get done in that one day. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the other 364 days that make the difference. And we said, well, how can we do this? And we said, well, let's let's create a conversation. And we said, well, let's let's try and kick something off in Twitter hours. And um, we launched it four years ago now, uh, back in 2017 in November. And in the first year, that commitment I talked about at the beginning, the consistency, you know, we did 48 Twitter hours between 8 and 9 p.m. Yeah. Solidly week after week, you know, finding guests, giving it a brand, treating it like a proper um, uh, marketing campaign. So rather than just calling, you know, what should it be called? What should the branding look like? How do we get people involved in it? And creating a, a community, as, as Matt mentioned as well, you know, it's absolutely crucial. That. How do we create a community of people that can talk confidently about shared ownership and get advice on legal, sales, marketing, financials and whatever uh, development, all the, all the things that impact shared ownership. It goes back to that regularity point, doesn't it, that Matt spoke yeah. about before yeah. as well, in terms of yeah, week after week, same similar message in terms of how you get there with it and, and what it, what its purpose is. Well, one thing do you think it's changed? If you were to say what's, what's been one the single biggest success? I'd say the imparting information uh, and getting people to think differently about shared ownership and take the social housing hat off and uh, put your shared ownership hat on. I think it's just being educated people and I think an informed, definitely. Great stuff. Thank you. Matt, I'm going to come back to you because um, I want to talk about reputation. Um, but before, before I do that, if you could just summarise what, what you think the wider world, how they view the housing sector and what one thing you'd do, if you were saying me, you know, a, a, a HA chief exec, what one change would you make to, to improve the brand? Well, I said this before, and I'm not trying to flatter you, but I think that I think that you've 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 taken some of those steps already, which is a fantastically encouraging thing. We can always do more, as my colleagues know. I'm never happy. We can always do more. We can we raise the bar. Oh. Absolutely, it's true. It is true. We can all always do more, and we can always change and respond to to, to the reactions that we get for doing some of the things that we've done as well, can't we? Um, but I think that. At the moment, what would I do as a chief exec? I think while people are still working, and I know I know that Yorkshire Housing are working more agilely and, and remotely than, than ever before, I think that that means that as a chief executive, you're probably slightly, in some ways, more detached from your workforce, from the people that work with you. And in other ways, and the possibilities are that you could be closer to them as well. There are only so many hours in the day, of course, to, to be able to reach out and metaphorically, of course, wrap your arms around people and say, um, you know, we, we, we're all in this together and we're all a team together and let me listen to, to what you want to talk about. But I think that listening and responding and talking to people as a, as a chief executive uh, is a is a fantastically powerful thing that you can do. And I think that as you become more senior through a business or as the business grows or evolves, you realize that your role is probably a it's a people role as opposed to yeah. doing role. I'm not a digital, uh, I'm not I can't build websites, I'm not a, a social media expert, um, I'm not a copywriter. But, uh, but now you tell me we've appointed you. You shouldn't be telling <laughs> me that. <laughs> but, uh, I do have some. I do have some brand consultancy stuff. Beautifully recovered. Beautifully recovered. I could see Anthony making a making a move there, and he was just saying, "We can do that." <laughs> I, I do know that I have experts within the organisation who beautiful, beautiful. Me. That's why you're in. That's why you're in branding comms. You yeah. see those sort of responses. 
my job therefore is to is to work with those people to get the very best out of them. And I think that that sometimes comes from from a greater HR role than I've ever had before as a as a chief exec or you know as a co-founder of a business. And so that would be my that would be my answer. Um, I think you're moving in the right direction. I think listening and responding is doing well. I think building a set of values that you can build genuine, simple, understandable behaviours on the back of is is key. Great stuff. Right. I'm going to really speed things up now because we are about to go into a quick fire round. But before we do, I just want to touch on one really topical issue, which is um, the reputation of the housing sector has has been dented over the last few months by uh, some of the recent uh, media coverage on on what you can only describe as shocking examples of, of, of where basic repairs haven't been carried out. What one thing do you think the housing sector should do to take back control of, of some of the narrative around that and repair some of the damage? I, I think that um, we need to communicate better. I think we need to face up to um, to the issues that, are, uh, that, that have arisen sometimes. And these are not ex- issues that are exclusive to the housing sector. You know, quality, um, speed of repair, whatever it might be, um, it, it is damaging. But it's but it's more damaging if you turn away and 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 don't face those issues. Yeah. I think communicating honestly um, with your with your audiences, confronting those issues, uh, and and trying to build reassurance that you are working as hard as you can, given sometimes difficult circumstances with regard yeah. to labor forces or, or or covid or remote working to get out there and actually meet people be in people's homes to rectify matters is not an easy thing and i think if you know i think the consumer the, the resident understands that yeah. and i think if, if, if you can communicate clearly that you are trying to do these things during difficult times and that you are making every effort by communicating regularly with them to take them on that journey to, to, to touch those points, then I think that will hopefully be helpful. Great stuff. Asif, what would you do? Don't don't wait for the, because in 15 years working with housing, don't wait for these dispatches or panorama programmes. You can be talking about, there's masses of positive stuff happening in housing. Don't wait for housing day. Don't wait for the negative media before you start putting the positive messages out. You need to be doing that every day because there's stuff happening every single day of the week and use your community liaison officers, housing officers, regen officers, as well as your comms teams to get those authentic messages out. The, the content within the housing sector is immense, yeah. um, but the actual communication, as Matt mentioned, the communication of that content, I've always said, uh, you know, when those dispatches panorama programs are being aired, there's absolutely nobody from housing commenting on social about it. Yeah. There's always the negative stuff. Yeah. So, you, you know, the NatFed, CIH, people like that, they've got a responsibility and so have all the HAs get involved in the conversation and push not schedule, but get some authentic conversations out. So it's a, it's a simple, not necessarily a total solution, but this it's the start of the solution. Great stuff. Some some great advice there. Um, and even better for listeners of the podcast, it's uh, free of charge. Um, so uh, we're going to go quick fire round, which is where you find out a little bit more about our guests. Best brand you've ever come across or that you admire the most? Asif, go with you first. Uh, innocent for me. I've never watched um, Bake Off or the Eurovision, but I do through the tweets of Innocent. Brilliant. Right. Okay. Matt? Recently seen House of Gucci, which was perhaps one of the most volatile organisations you can ever possibly imagine yet managed to ride through and create something amazing out of it. 
Uh, so Gucci is quite inspiring. I think from a place perspective, Savile Row has evolved and changed over the years as a place and a destination known globally. It's one street in London, but it has an enormous reputation uh, and it's managed to evolve. Great stuff. Lovely plug as well, uh, Matt. I like your style. Um, so Matt, we'll stay with you, Apple or Android. And this could be the end of a relationship, a beautiful relationship if you get this wrong. I'm sorry, but I'm Apple. Um, I'm trapped in an orchard with no way out. So you're Apple. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, no pressure, Asif, but you know where this is going. Apple as well for me. Excellent, excellent. Even the producer's nodding on that one. Um, okay, so you both look like early adopters. So on electric cars, uh, Tesla or Polestar? Asif, to you first. It'd be Tesla, but there's not much. I, I don't like either of them, if I'm honest with you. I like what they're about. But as cars, I've got a hybrid X5 myself. So I am in that space. It'd be Tesla. Okay, you might have just recovered your position there, Matt. Um, again, I would say neither, probably, although they are groundbreaking and you know, there's great brands out there, there's no <laughs> doubt. I'm actually a, I'm a fifth year electric car driver now, and I actually choose Audi. Oh, wow, okay, right, there you go, that's a topical one, right? So, uh, really quick, one gadget you'd take with you on a desert island, Matt. Um, my Leatherman multi tool. Cracking oh. coconuts, great tool, cutting things, gutting fish, sort right. of. Right, so talking to desert islands, you've got that with you. Favourite holiday destination, one word? Um, Tuscany. Oh, oh Mallorca. Not much use for your multi-tool there, is there, really? Um, Asif, one gadget you take with you on a desert island? That's going to be my phone. Your phone and uh, favourite holiday desk? Uh, Dubai. Dubai. Oh, right, OK. So... Final one from me is most interesting person you've ever met, Asif. That's my late father without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, great answer. Great answer. Matt? I don't have an answer quite as good as that one, but I once met Ranulf Fiennes, who was quite inspiring. Wow. Chopped his own fingers off in a shed because of frostbite. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's dedication to the cause and some true grit there, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. As ever um, on this podcast, time is against us. So firstly, a massive thanks to Asif and Matt. Um, you've been um, exceptional. Everything I knew you'd be in approaching this recording and, and, and much more besides. Thanks to all of you out there who are listening. Our next episode is the final episode in season one is on sustainable living. Uh, so uh, watch for that being launched on a podcast site near you soon. You can also find all our other episodes wherever you usually get your podcasts. But for now, um, it's time to close the front door on this episode of Raising the Roof. Until next time, thanks for listening.